Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 29. Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast, your direct connection to Gary Renard, best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and the upcoming book, Love Has Forgotten No One. I'm Gene Bogart, podcast producer and Gary's co-host. And I'm not going to make anybody wait a second longer. The man himself is on the line, the star of our show. It is Gary Renard. <laughs> you always crack me up with that, Gene. <laughs> well, you are the star of the show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing real oh, good. You know, hold on one sec. One thing I forgot. I, I didn't give you any applause, Gary. Gary Renard, everybody. You got spoiled when we were on board All the right. ship. We we had real people giving us real applause right in front of yeah. us on on board yeah, the cruise. Right. Yeah, I like that uh, canned uh, standing ovation there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can electronically. It's much better with real people out there. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, true. Uh, go ahead. I'm having a good time, Gene. I'm doing uh, real good. Uh, I'm in L.A. right now. I just got mm-hmm. back from uh, San Diego where we had the uh, Hay House. Yeah, you mentioned that to me. You mentioned that briefly. That was the Hay House. What was the name of this conference? They call it the I Can Do It Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louise Hay, of course, coined the phrase. And uh, it's just a great time. All the Hay House authors get together, and uh, we all put on workshops. I did mine on Saturday. It was great. We had a great crowd. Uh, beautiful people did book signing. Uh, in fact, I did a lot of things this past weekend. Uh, I was interviewed for a movie on Friday night. Uh, it's called Luminous Worldviews. It's going to be really good because uh, the people doing it, uh, they, they're just experts, cinematographers. Uh, the classy movie, very intelligent. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up on PBS or something. Mm. But, uh, really well done, and that was exciting. And uh, on Saturday morning, I did a radio show uh, you know, for Hay House, and uh, I was with this uh, author named uh, Thomas Moore, who is uh, a Ph.D. He's a biblical scholar. And I thought, well, you know, it might be a little strange doing a show with uh, that kind of a person, but I was able to, you know, have a nice conversation with him and, you know, hold my own. And I was surprised at uh, how similar some of the ideas we had about Jesus and what he was like mm. uh, were. So that was a pleasant surprise. Then uh, after I did my workshop and the book signing, uh, I went over to uh, another hotel and I did an interview, a video interview. Uh, for the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which will be on one of their DVDs, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, if not, we'll have a page where uh, people you know who know me can go and watch this for free. Oh, cool. But uh, it's an interview that I did with Marielle Hemingway. Yeah, uh, you mentioned that to me. You got to work with Marielle Hemingway. That's cool. Yes, famous actress and member of the famous uh, Hemingway family. Right. I believe her grandfather was uh, Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, I think it's a grandfather, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, we had a great interview for half an hour. The, the theme of it was spiritual movies. Mm. So uh, we talked about a couple of movies and about movies in general, especially spiritual movies, and she was just great. Uh, she was uh, really friendly, uh, very professional, and right on top of things, and uh, she does a good interview. So uh, we had a very good uh, back and forth for that, and people will be able to see that through the Spiritual Cinema Circle or through uh, probably my website. Oh, cool. I'll be looking forward to seeing that, too. Yeah, and uh, then we had the Hay House Authors Dinner on <laughs> right. Saturday night. That's where you get to schmooze with all the, uh, the schmooze. famous authors you know, in the world. And uh, Who did you have with you on this uh, this gathering? Uh, 
What do you mean? Uh, with the other speakers that were there, the other Hay House celebs. Oh, I thought you were talking more personal than that. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were a lot of famous uh, people there. Wayne Dyer was there Friday uh-huh. night. Right. And uh, I like Greg Braden. He's one of my favorite. Yeah, you've said that before. He is a really nice guy. Yeah, and uh, does a great job. Well, did you get to see him, or did you tell me he was speaking while you were dinnering with the group? Yeah, he was so busy. Uh, one of the things about these conferences is that you don't always get to spend a lot of time together except at the dinner, and he couldn't make the dinner because he was selected to give the keynote uh, talk to the crowd uh, at the same time that most of us were just having a good time. He was out there working. <laughs> he had to go on hungry. Yeah, that's true. But uh, there are always a lot of uh, you know big uh, authors there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple that weren't there this time that they maybe they come every other time, like uh, you know Esther and Jerry Hicks. Right. Uh, but uh, Marianne was there, ah. and Williamson, uh-huh. and uh, of course Louise Hay right. is always there. How's Louise doing? Because she's been she's been around quite a long time, and she's you always. Gene, uh, it's almost scary. Uh, <laughs> she's like uh, eighty three, and uh, she goes. You would think she was a teenager. Jeez, oh, you really would. Uh, you know, I had my uh, picture taken with her, and she was just running around, and she, you know, she's talking to everybody like. Uh, you know, she's ageless. She yeah. really is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talk about proof uh, that uh, this stuff works. I mean, she has literally created her life with her thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, and she always talks about, you know, the, the quality of the thoughts that you have will determine how you feel about yourself. And uh, even though we may not articulate it the same way, because she's not really teaching A Course in Miracles, but at the same time, she understands uh, the power of thought and how important it is. Right. Uh, my opinion is that the course just takes it up to a whole new level by giving you uh, a couple of things to choose between and simplifying it and uh, having you focus on spirit and, and what you really are and where you really are. And certainly uh, other disciplines tend to make the world a lot more real mm-hmm. and focus on uh, what you do and what you get and, and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if you look at someone like Louise, uh, it's just amazing what's possible uh, simply by, you know, training the mind to think a certain way. She does have a thought system, and I always emphasize the importance of that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be A Course in Miracles, and A Course in Miracles itself would say that. That's right. just one form of the uh, universal curriculum, of which there are many. Uh, but I think that when Jesus says at the beginning of the workbook that an untrained mind can accomplish nothing, Right. I think that, uh, you know, whether it's the first thought system that I really had, which was uh, the estrogen training, which kind of snapped me out of my depression Mm -hmm. at the time, because it was a consistent thought system that gave me a way of looking at the world consistently and interpreting everything that I saw in a consistent manner. Uh, That was vital, and it changed my life. And it wasn't A Course in Miracles. I think A Course in Miracles is probably the best thought system that you can come up with, but that's just my personal opinion. And uh, when it comes to Louise, she also has a consistent thought system in which she looks at everything in the world in a consistent manner and can interpret everything that she sees in a consistent way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so important to have a, a consistent thought system that you can rely on. Uh, it really does change everything, and uh, obviously this has worked for her. And uh, so I really salute her for that. And she had gone through, I, I guess that goes back to her, her first uh, you know, big book from years ago, some really serious, I mean, almost like terminal health conditions, or so, it, so she was told. And she turned all of that around and has maintained all this, uh, this vitality since. That's right. And uh, every five years, uh, she throws herself a big birthday party. <laughs> 
In, uh, See, that's every- when that's when you're confident. You just go for it every five years. You don't even worry about yearly. Oh, I'll be here in five years. That's right. Uh, <laughs> the next one is in a couple of years. She'll be 85. Uh-huh. Uh, I went to the last one, and she invited every single Hay House author who ever wrote a book wow. uh, for Hay House, even if you were a co-author. Uh, my, my first publisher, D. Patrick Miller, was there just because he had co-authored a book for Hay House something uh-huh. like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it's like uh, there were 400 people there, and uh, 250 of them were authors. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, amazing uh, the number of lives that she has touched and made a difference in, yeah. because you can't uh, have your life change too much more than becoming a successful author. Yeah. And uh, so it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I really enjoyed it, because you just get to meet so many great people. And uh, they had it in San Diego this time, which I think is a great choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful uh, place. We got to look around. We went out to Coronado Island, mm. and uh, we went to Balboa Park, which is just phenomenal. And uh, it was a great time. So I'm really excited. And uh, so now I'm back here, and I got you know like uh, a couple of days to try to catch up on things, which is always a joke. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> between the emails and the phone calls, uh. and uh, you know, writing articles and trying to write a book, and uh, you know, doing all uh, this stuff. I mean, I, I have all this great stuff here. You know, at my yeah. place. Yeah, you got all that. Use. You got that busy Hollywood lifestyle stuff to deal with over there. Yeah, now. but I got all yeah. the stuff here that I got, and I don't know how to use it because <laughs> I haven't you, had the time to learn. Like, you I got, got that this, uh, that big new screen TV thing, right? That's right, and it has this on-demand feature that I don't know how to use. <laughs> and uh, I got this TAC machine, right, where I'm supposed to be able to convert my old vinyl LPs into uh, audio CDs. Oh, a turntable with a USB output thing. Yeah, uh-huh. and I can actually convert my my music into, you know, the old, uh, oh, yeah. into CDs and, uh, plug them right into your iPod. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know how to use my iPod either, but <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I got this thing here and I don't know how to use it. So if I, if I did, I, it would probably take me five years to, to, you know, to change all of my LPs into, uh, you got to prioritize. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I got, uh, I got a practice guitar. I bought a practice guitar that's, uh, you know, much smaller. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. That sounds cool. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, the fretboard is the same size, but the ah. guitar is smaller. It makes uh-huh. it easier to bring it on the road sure. with you. But I haven't had time to unpack it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know I bought a new MacBook Pro. Right, right. I know you did. Yeah, you I've, you, I've you finally moved guy. up to the to the light. You've come into the light from the darkness now. <laughs> That's right. I'm a Mac guy. Uh, and and I, at least I know how to use my email. Hey, yeah. there you and, go. Uh, and at least it's easier for me to get on my email at the airport because they give me this attachment where you can uh, get on anywhere you, where you can get a cell phone signal. Yeah, a little plug-in deal, right? Yeah, yeah. you can get on the Internet. That's, That's got to be great. Yeah, that has to really be neat. That's going to save me a lot of time. But, uh, you know, I mean, you tried to explain a couple of things to me, and, I, and I, I did learn something from that, so that's good. But, you know, you get all this stuff on there, like GarageBand. You know, I'd like to be able to record... Uh, you know, some music, because I am getting a little bit more back into playing my guitar. Right, we were talking about that. Yeah, the guitar and some singing, and you got some original stuff perking around. Yeah, I think I might do uh, an audio CD, uh, you know, maybe next year or mm-hmm. something. I'll do all my favorite songs, maybe, including maybe a couple that I wrote. Because people know that I can play the guitar, but they yeah. don't know that I can sing. I got know? the title for your album, like, Gary Renard, Guitar Guru. <laughs> and, and like have a picture of you like with cowboy boots and a turban, you know, or something like that. And you're sitting on a cloud playing your guitar. What do you well, think? That, that sounds uh, like S- a dream come true. S- sitting on a mountaintop playing yeah. a guitar in a toga, you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah and work. then I've got, uh, 
well, I get this writing program I'm trying to learn how to use mm-hmm. so that I can uh, write, you know, more uh, for uh, TV and movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm certainly in the right place for that. That's so, right. Uh, That's right. And, you know, then there's all these projects, you know. But, uh, yeah, I get all this stuff I'm trying to learn how to even, you know, use, and it's... Uh, a little overwhelming, and that's not even counting uh, my work. You know. <laughs> yeah, let's forget about that. Yeah, but uh, you know, I'm I'm not complaining. It's just that there don't seem to be enough hours, you know, in the day. So now, you have to make choices. As you become more and more enlightened, uh, don't you find that time is less of an issue for you? Uh, it's less of an issue. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that. Uh, you know, things get done any faster. That's right. You know, mo- most of the real gurus in the world aren't really, like, busy with work. They just, like, sit on their mountaintop and pontificate. Oh, yeah. yes, grasshopper. You let me bring me another bowl of rice. Yes. Well, you know, I've met yogis like that, and they admit that it's a lot easier to be a yogi in an ashram than it is to be a yogi in a traffic jam. I would... <laughs> a traffic jam. Yes, I would think so. I can just see the Dalai Lama caught up in traffic. Damn you all! You know, like, <laughs> he would never say that. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, you're not being challenged if you go off and yeah. uh, divide yourself from the rest of the world. That's too easy. Yeah. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, Jesus in A Course in Miracles, he had the right idea when he gave it in New York City. Yeah, you mentioned that. That is a great idea, because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. If you can get the message across there, it will reach anywhere on Earth. That's true. And yeah. if you can uh, apply the Course in the fast lane. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and use it that way, which is what it's meant for. It's yeah, people who yeah. have fast lives and have real lives, you know, with real problems, uh-huh. and uh, it gives you a way to deal with it and a way to look at it and a way to forgive it. And uh, the better you get at it, the more you practice, uh, the faster you get at doing it. The less time you have to spend thinking about it. Yeah, and the more time uh, you can do just experiencing it. It's like, uh, you know, I've been doing this for about sixteen years now. And I really believe that I'm getting to the point where I can forgive almost anything automatically, which mm-hmm. is the way that it should be. Uh, yeah. The Course says miracles are habits. And uh, you have to get to the point where no matter what happens, you know what it's for, you know how to deal with it, uh, you know how to look at it, you stop yourself from reacting, which is really the hardest part of doing this, which is why it's so important uh, to have a thought system. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you can just stop yourself from reacting uh, when, the, when somebody really tries to push your buttons, and hold yourself back. That's the hardest part of doing this, because if you can do that, then you're going to switch from the ego's thought system over to the Holy Spirit's thought system. And as soon as you start doing that, everything that you know, everything that you've learned, because it's holographic, it's going to come back to you. Uh, And it comes back to you kind of like all at once. And you remember the truth. You remember that uh, what you're responding to is not really there, that you made it up. It's not being done to you. It's coming from you. Uh, you made it up. It's not really there. So then you can change your mind about it, and then you can release it to the Holy Spirit in peace. And uh, it gets to be a very quick three steps that incorporate themselves almost into one step where it's almost automatic. And when you get to that point, then you're actually saving a lot of time, not just in terms of the fact that the Holy Spirit is kind of like collapsing time for you, but at the same time, you're saving time in the sense that it would take you more time to judge somebody. Uh, than it would to forgive them, which is something nobody understands at first, yeah. certainly. But if you're judging somebody, now you have to have this whole script going as to why they're not worthy of your forgiveness, which is why the Course says, he who would not forgive must judge, mm-hmm. for he must justify his failure to forgive. 
you know, it's like you got to have, an, uh, you know, kind of like a reason now why you're not uh, releasing right. them and why right. they're not worthy of your forgiveness. And ultimately, that actually takes more time than just forgiving them. And, you know, as you say that, it takes more effort also, because to judge someone, you have to do something to do that and make that happen. To forgive, you need do nothing. It's a be willing situation. You have to be willing to simply turn it over to the Holy Spirit and you're done with it. He does the heavy lifting, not you. Yeah, that, that's right, Gene. Very good, because uh, that, that's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah. And uh, It's actually easier to forgive when, you, when you've learned to do it right. It's easier because for you it is effortless. You know, that's really something. Yeah, I think that's really true. And that whole idea that uh, miracles are habits, yeah. uh, it just be, it becomes uh, so much a part of you that you would almost miss it if you don't do it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think part of the reason for that is because you feel better. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, ultimately you're the one who's getting the benefits of doing this. It's not the other person who appears to be there. Of course, they're not really there because, uh, as the Course teaches, the world is a projection. You know, it says, behold the great projection. And ultimately that's what it is. Yes, that's a, a very esoteric idea for some people. Right. But it actually becomes more and more a part of your experience. Now, uh, we did want to get to uh, some questions and answers. We absolutely do. You want to jump into some now? We've got a couple of, just a couple of comments we can do later before we close out. A couple of things I just wanted to mention quickly. But we can go right to the questions because I have some in front of me right now. All right. Okay. <laughs> the first one I think you're going to find very interesting because we have talked before about how in, in many ways, most of us in the chorus and metaphysical community think of this type of, uh, of spirituality as something that usually doesn't appeal to younger people. It Usually you find yourself drawn to it a little later in life, maybe in your 30s or 40s or beyond. Uh, and I'm not sure really why that is, but whatever the case. But we've talked about how it seems like recently there are younger people, particularly in the chorus community, who seem to present themselves every now and then. And you mentioned some uh, young girl that you had met or spoke to from, uh, from Canada, I believe. Yeah. And th- people like that, that is astound you and they're obviously people who are coming into this life with a very elevated spiritual position and that's really interesting and uh, i think very exciting because you know what are these people going to be teaching all the rest of us you know down the line it's really amazing so in with that as the setup here's our first question and you'll see what i mean she says hello gene bogart and gary renard thank you so much for all your insight into a course in miracles and the disappearance of the universe which are teaching me so much about life and god I absolutely love your podcasts. I also have a question that my dad and I debated over. I'm 15 years old. So here's the question. Was Jesus born enlightened or did he obtain enlightenment early on in his years? Thanks again. That's sincerely from Victoria. So Victoria is 15 years old with a really great question. So Gary, what do you say? Well, I would say that uh, in their final lifetime, both Jesus and Buddha uh, were born knowing everything that they had to know uh, to be enlightened. And I think that each one of them had one big lesson left uh, for them to teach. Uh, In Jesus' case, he was practically enlightened. Certainly when he was uh, 12 years old, uh, he was teaching the rabbis in the temple, Mm -hmm. which you even see uh, in the New Testament. Right. And, uh, you know, he was, for all intents and purposes, enlightened. Uh, the elder rabbis would refer to him as rabbi, which actually means teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, at that time, it was about the biggest compliment that you could possibly give to anybody. Mm-hmm. So obviously they held him in uh, great esteem, and they realized uh, that he was indeed uh, you know, enlightened and amazing. 
but uh, he also had that one big lesson that he wanted to teach at the end of his life, which he hadn't uh, demonstrated yet, which was the message of the crucifixion. It's almost like uh, when people come into their final lifetime, there's one big lesson left for them uh, to teach, and of course you learn what you teach. Uh, in the case of Persa, in the disappearance of the universe, there's a, one big forgiveness lesson that is talked about uh, in the disappearance of the universe and also in the other two books, uh, the third one coming out soon. And it's like, um, you know, you see that she had that one big lesson. Arden had that one big lesson that was left for him to learn right. in the final lifetime. It was the same with Buddha, uh, the same with Jesus. In Jesus' case, uh, it was actually demonstrating that there is no death uh, by being crucified. He wasn't suffering or sacrificing. Indeed, he couldn't suffer because, as the Course teaches, the guiltless mind cannot suffer. And so what he was teaching was that he was not a body, that that had nothing to do with his reality, that he could not be killed, that he could not be hurt. And that was the ultimate and final lesson that he chose to teach uh, in his final lifetime. Of course, people... Uh, immediately misinterpreted it. Not everybody. Right. I mean, uh, there was a certain faction there. Uh, you had people like Mary, you know, Mary Magdalene, who is Jesus' wife. Uh, she got it, certainly. And uh, Thomas and Thaddeus got it. Uh, there was a, a great teacher named Stephen uh, who got it, and a few others. But then there was this other faction uh, led by Peter, and uh, later by the Apostle Paul. And you could certainly say, and I've said this before, but uh, Christianity is not based on the teachings of Jesus. It's based on uh, the theology of the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, you had that segment that eventually won out as far as uh, creating a religion. But uh, it was never Jesus' intention to start a religion. So uh, right off the bat, you got the wrong thing going on there, and that's what uh, predominated in history. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's changing now. And I think it's very clear that it's changing now. Yeah. And uh, not only are things like, uh, you know, and it really started with the discovery of these alternative Gospels back in 1945, mm -hmm. when you had the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Philip and these other Gospels dug up in uh, Kamadi. Uh, that's when things started to change. Uh, for and Yeah, there had been movements before that were going in that direction. But uh, the movement that I'm talking about is a movement toward a God of love. Mm -hmm. uh, God has been presented as being very conflicted throughout history. Yeah. But A Course in Miracles does not give us a conflicted God. Uh, a Course in Miracles gives us a God that it really is perfect love. And uh, I even see that going on, believe it or not, in Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, you see uh, a movement away from a God of wrathful, vengeful fear and toward a God of love. Uh, one good example of that would be... Uh, you know, Joel Austin. I was just going to say that. You know, you read my mind. All minds are joined, because I, I don't think we've ever mentioned this on a podcast, so we can give a shout-out to our buddy Joel. I've never met the guy, but I actually watch him all the time. He's terrific, isn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah, he's a great uh, speaker. Uh, yeah. His books and tapes always make number one. Uh -huh. uh, he's a Christian. Uh, he's not a Course in Miracles at all. Uh, he quotes from the Bible, right. but, but the parts that he quotes and the parts that he emphasizes are the parts about uh, love oh, yeah. and forgiveness and living a positive life. Uh, I know and, he, he gets some flack from uh, you know some other real conservative people because he's not judgmental in, in his type of delivery. Like, well, you don't talk enough about the suffering and the, you know, but that's that's not a cop out on his part. It's just focusing on, on what certainly what we believe to be the truth. You know, so many times when I'm watching him, I say, 
even though he's reading quotes from the Bible, he, he kind of puts them together and with his commentary that you would swear he was reading the course just before he came out. Because he really gets into this saying, again, the thing that truth is true and the truth will come out even if it's been sort of uh, covered over and obfuscated for so many years by a, a lot of written material that isn't really, you know, that it was distortion on what it was originally meant to be. Uh, that's right. And when I say that uh, there's a movement in that direction, just look at the fact that he's preaching in Texas and he gets 10,000 people oh, yeah, more, every I think. week or I think, more yeah, at his place. So, yeah. uh, I really do think that there's a movement uh, in that direction, and I, I see it uh, even among some conservative theologians. You know, mm-hmm. our friend Roger, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote Closing the Circle, mentioned that he knows uh, you know, some conservative uh, Christian theologians who used to be evangelicals who are saying publicly that they think that we have to have a God of love that we cannot have a God, uh, you know, based on all this uh, judgmental, warlike uh, kind of rhetoric. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, you know. That's the thing. When you think about it, why, why would it, why would a uh, an, an all creative power of God? Why would that being create humans and then be so angry with them all the time? Because you made them, you know. So uh, I know that people have different, you know, arguments about that, but it just doesn't. It makes much more sense. The idea of a loving God who who imparts just that to its to his creations. That's right. Yeah. And people don't realize that they're so angry at these other people. And yeah. they, they forget that they made them. Yeah, you know, that they made them too. So yeah. it's really the same principle. It's just that uh, they're attributing what they secretly believe to be true about themselves. Projection. Yeah. To God, so it, it's like God has become uh, something that they're projecting their own personality yeah. traits onto that they probably don't even know about. And as you said once before, too, you said uh, Jesus uh, didn't consider himself a Christian in that sense. You know, like you said about Carl Jung, he said, at least I'm not a Jungian. So (laughs) he never saw himself as a Christian. He saw himself as one who brings the truth. And that was it. And there was never meant to be a religion. It was meant to be a following of the truth and a following of, of of our relationship to God. So, I, but but as humans, I guess the ego comes in and we always need to, you know, we need to make a business out of it somehow, you know, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, that was a great question from Victoria. We want to thank her for that. We'll look forward to 15 years old. That's very, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, I wanted to uh, address the uh, the age aspect of it that mm-hmm. she asked about because, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, people used to say, I think the general idea about A Course in Miracles was that, oh, you had to be mature, you had to be in your 40s or 50s before you were really ready to do it. Yeah. And that may be true with a lot of people. And I, I think that uh, in, maybe in most cases it's true. But at the same time, I've seen uh, the age group that is attending my workshops uh, getting uh, increasingly younger. I get more and more people in their 20s. Uh, they'll go into Barnes & Nobles or Borders, see the book, it speaks to them somehow, and they start reading it. Uh, in most cases, they don't know yet about A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. And it's a great introduction, uh, it turns out, for younger people, because what's happened, and I really have to uh, credit movies like The Matrix uh, for this, and also uh, you know TV series like uh, the more recent Star Trek things with the holodeck and all that. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, young people nowadays, they understand uh, the concept of the whole thing being a hologram. They, un- they understand the whole idea that it's made up and that it's not real. And that is such a great introductory idea mm-hmm. uh, to them. It, it has really prepared them a lot more for ideas like the, uh, you know, the dream uh, being a dream or an illusion, or at least the fact that it's not really there. And then when they start reading something like the disappearance of the universe, which of course is very radical uh, compared to other teachings that are out there, they're much more prepared for it. And uh, so I really think that the age group is dropping as far as. Uh, 
people who are being ready uh, for this kind of a teaching. And then on top of that, there are also the kind of people who you mentioned who come into this world who are really are uh, spiritually advanced. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, girl you were uh, speaking about, uh, she's a, a really good friend of mine named Elvena. Uh, her parents uh, are great people. Uh, her uh, mother is actually translating uh, my book into Romanian. Oh, wow. And uh, she's a professor at the University of Toronto, where I happen to be going in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, she invited me to speak there uh, last year, and I'm going again this year. And uh, when I went last year, I met her daughter, Elzana. Now, Elzana was eight years old Jeez. when I met her, and she read my book, uh, Disappearance of the Universe. She understood it. She got it. Uh, she could talk to me about it just as clearly, maybe more clearly, than many adults. <laughs> And but she was so cute. I mean, she would say things like, "Oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, the world's an illusion, but I still have to do my arithmetic, <laughs> you know, and things like that." In fact, this year she's going to introduce me uh, before uh, I speak. Oh, how cool! Yeah, I'm going to try to get it on video because uh, that would be really cool. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, her mother Gabriella is uh, a professor there, uh, mm. and uh, you can't speak at the University of Toronto unless you're invited by a professor. It's just uh-huh. one of the rules there. And last month, she had Ken Wapnett uh, mm-hmm. speak there. And, uh, you know, I'll be there. Of course, it's easy to follow Ken. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. But uh, but uh, he just fell in love with Alzana, too, because, you know, she's just, uh, you know, just amazing. That's and, pretty and irresistible. Delightful, you know, delightful to talk to. Maybe it's but, that the truth behind all of this is just sort of bubbling up through the consciousness, you know, and it shows up in, in the media, it shows up in, in movie and music choices and things and subjects that people find themselves writing about and creating. And it also shows up through our thinking and certainly and maybe more so through younger people who, as we say, some of them are coming in very receptive to this because they're already sort of, uh, you know, online with what's going on. Yeah, well, I also met uh, an 11-year-old girl in Mexico who's the same way. Ah. I'll tell you about her uh, next month. Okay. We don't have time, and I want to move on, but uh, it's like, yeah, it's just amazing uh, what's happening. I, I see, uh, and you and I are going to actually do some things related to this in the future, but uh, I see more and more men uh, coming to my workshop. Yeah. Uh, the crowd keeps getting younger. Every now and then we'll have a couple of teenagers that will show up who already know uh, the teachings, and uh, it's a real mind-blower. So I think that uh, you can't really generalize. You can't say that nobody who is younger should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Course in Miracles itself says that the curriculum is highly individualized. Mm-hmm. So you can't make a blanket statement and say, oh, this is just for mature people or just for uh, people who have set up the classroom. Although, uh, once again, certainly in most cases, that's true, and that's the way it's going to be. But at the same time, I'm allowing for, you know, people of any age uh, to get into this because, uh, you know, if they're ready, they're ready. And if they know it, they know it. A lot of people... They they wouldn't be doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. if uh, if they weren't ready for it because they wouldn't be interested in it. A lot of people ask about that with kids. That's a recurring question is, you know, how do you uh, you know introduce children to the course or should you? And and I think what you're saying there is the point that it's not something that I don't think should be forced or really force fed to kids if they're not ready for it, because it is pretty deep material in many ways. But if a kid is interested and ready, there's no reason not to. There's nothing. There's no downside to it. It's just purely a matter of of readiness. And is is that individual 
at whatever age ready to accept this. And probably there are, you know, many eight year olds who are far more ready to accept this than 50 or 60 year olds, you know, so. Uh, right. Uh, the thing is, though, they should show the interest. Yes. In yeah. it, rather than uh, you forcing it on them or, or saying, oh, you got to learn this. Right. right. Uh, they should be uh, showing the interest in it because in a lot of cases, uh, kids have everything they can deal with just to survive. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, in this world, uh, and they don't, you know, they got enough problems without you telling them that it's all an illusion. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, right. uh, Although yeah. I think had someone told me that when I was younger, I would have had taken that information with great relief. I think, oh, thank God, this isn't real <laughs> because it was being told that it was real and there was something wrong with you for not seeing it that way. Uh, you know, so it again, it depends on the individual. Yeah, I think, I think kids would have a diff- different yeah. takes on it. Yeah, yeah, I would say, well, if if it's not real, then why do I have to do this? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if it's not real, I'm not eating that rhubarb. You know, <laughs> really. Uh, Why did I pick rhubarb? Okay, speaking of suffering, um, because actually it is. No, I I didn't like rhubarb when I was a kid, but I've had rhubarb pie as an adult. It's not bad. And I'm not recommending it if you feel yourself motivated. Uh, This question, a few few podcasts back, we were talking about uh, suffering and dealing with body issues and things. So this one tied in, and this is another fairly recent one. This one came in uh, in February of this year. We, We have older questions we're still getting to, our legacy questions, but we also want to mix a few new ones in. This one says, Dear Brother Gary, in your book, Your Immortal Reality, on page 79, Persa states, but at the same time, there are a lot of new medicines that help people, especially older people, to not suffer. Your parents, talking to you, Gary, your parents could have used some of the medicines they have today. The question continues, since the world is one of effects, how can medicine, whether new or old, cause effects of pain relief? Now, if anything that changes, old or new medicine is not true, not real, why does Persa mention this in the book? I understand that mind is cause and the imagined world is effect. But that's an interesting question. That's from Denise. Yeah, that was a bad page. (laughs) Just forget about that. Want to rip that one out? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Okay, Uh, what happens is, yes, it is all effect. And I I wasn't saying... uh, and I never have, and I'm sure that Arden and Persa weren't saying that it was actually the medicine uh, itself that was the cause of the relief and suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has gone over, especially uh, in that chapter called Healing the Sick mm-hmm. uh, in Disappearance. The way it works is this. Uh, people make a decision to feel better or to get better. Just as uh, the, you know, the section in uh, the manual of The Course of Miracles says, uh, it's the person who decides to get sick, and it's the person who decides to get well. Uh, that is always done at the level of cause. Mm-hmm. That is always done at the level of the mind. Everything results from a decision, usually unconscious. Usually you're not even aware of it. Uh, and it all happened all at once. If you wanted to go back to the holographic model instead of the linear model, uh, the whole thing was decided ahead of time anyway. But then you get back to the linear model, and it looks like we're making it up as we go along. Now, the way it works is, uh, okay, so say it was my parents, and they they had this medicine, which unfortunately uh, they didn't. And uh, let's say it was my parents, and they decided to get sick. Well, let's say they decided to get well, uh, which they could have done without the medicine, and there could have been something else there that gave form to their decision. But that's the point. It's the decision that comes first. You decide to get well. Uh, Then if you decide to get well, then what happens on the effect is that something shows up that gives form to your decision. Mm -hmm. So it may look like it's the medicine that's healing you. It may look like it's the medicine that's making you feel better and suffer less. 
but it's actually the decision that you made uh, that is making you feel better and suffer less. And then this medicine shows up, and because it would be too frightening to your ego, you know, to just have a spontaneous healing, the uh, ego is kind of like uh, being thrown a bone in the sense that uh, it's saying, okay, well, this this is something that you can take that will allow you to get better without being too afraid, without, uh, you know, your ego freaking out, because now uh, the ego sees something where at least it can relate to without being too afraid. Uh, if you did something to heal yourself and your ego became too afraid, then it, it might find another way to make you suffer or to hurt you that would be even worse. So there's nothing wrong with using uh, what A Course in Miracles would call magic. Uh, everybody does it, including people who do the Course. And uh, the reason for that is because you understand that it's your decisions at the level of the mind that matter. I wanted to ask you, let me jump in, because I was going to say before, um, I know a lot of people will be saying, well, hang on a second, you say you made a decision to get sick and then a decision to get well. I say, hey, I never decided I wanted to get sick. But you're not saying that as the, in the human persona, but the decision was made at, at the level of mind that you're not really consciously even aware of. That's right. In most cases, your decision to get sick is not something that you're consciously aware right. of, but it is taking place in the unconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, it, if it, you were aware of it, then it wouldn't be unconscious. Right. You know, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, gee, I wish I could get sick today. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll have a cancerous tumor start up today. Nobody would want that, or at least consciously want that. That's right. Uh, this really starts as a result of what, what the Course would uh, label in this kind of like all-encompassing term as guilt that is in the mind that can actually be traced all the way back to the original idea of being separate from God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that guilt is also responsible for all the pain that we feel. So when the Course says that uh, the guiltless mind cannot suffer, what it's saying is if you actually uh, kind of like forgave the world like Jesus, and, that, and all that means is that you forgive everything that comes up in front of your face on any given day. It sounds like a big job, but it's not, because you're going to be confronted with those things anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so why not just look at them differently? And if you do, and if you uh, do it every day and be as consistent as you can, then more and more of this unconscious guilt is being removed from your mind by the Holy Spirit, which really does the big part of the job. And uh, as that happens, your ability to feel pain decreases. So eventually it uh, gets to the point where, you know, even if you did get sick, you wouldn't be concerned about it because it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. And it's really the pain that, uh, you know, bothers people. Uh, and, I'm you know, I mean, I regret that my, my parents didn't have, uh, you know, the nice medicines that we have today because there are people uh, who used to get very simple things and they would suffer continuously from them, mm. where today they can just go uh, get a certain medicine or prescription, and uh, it really does, you know, help. And... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that the, it's the effect or the level of form, but apparently, you know, people are deciding to live longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the age span has increased dramatically. I mean, how else can you, you know, explain the fact that, you know, 100 years ago, 110 years ago, the average lifespan in America was 49. Yeah. You know, now here it is uh, 79 or whatever. And uh, that has been a function of the fact that people have been deciding to live longer and deciding to, uh, you know, kind of like suffer less. And people think that, uh, you know, the world is much worse off. Uh, you know, that's a ridiculous idea. If you look back to the 1930s, 1940s, uh, the world is much better off today uh, than it was back then. Uh, the world situation was horrendous. Yeah, and, uh, and it was worse prior to that, you know, things, uh, yeah, things were times, rough back in the old days. 
Oh, yeah, if he had, like, the plague or something. I mean, you know, uh, people think that, uh, you know, not, I don't want to get too topical, but people think that this swine flu thing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like nothing. You know, it's oh, like yeah. That, it, I mean, mostly what it is is fear. You know, all the ego needs is fear. Sure. You know, if the ego has fear, then it is one, regardless of what appears to be happening. So it's not, you know, people aren't going to notice that they're living longer or that they have a better life. Uh, what the ego needs for them to focus on is just fear. And it doesn't matter if, if the fear is justified or not. Uh, the swine flu thing, uh, you know, it's not uh, killing people in great numbers. Uh, it's not a powerful form or powerful strain uh, compared to things we had uh, in the past, like the influenza uh, that existed in 1918. Oh man, that uh, was... killed like 50,000 people. Yeah, uh, in New York City alone. I mean, people were dropping like flies, yeah. dying. You know, and this is not like that. And yet, uh, to listen to the news media, you would think that it was like that. And I, I traveled to the Hay House conference this past weekend. I saw people in, in airports wearing masks. Mm-hmm. You know, because they were frightened to breathe. You know, and this is like nothing. You know, I was walking around, hey, hey big deal. You know, this is like uh, nothing. I mean, common sense precautions are fine. Wash your hands, you know, for goodness sake, and, you know, things like that. But, you know, when people start living in fear, I don't think it's ever a good idea, especially when, as you say, someone mentioned that finally on the news recently. They said, well, don't go out of hand. We've, you know, a few hundred people, and this is worldwide, have died from this, which is tragic. But every year in America, it's over 30,000 people die every year of just the regular flu that comes around every winter. So, you know, the numbers are just really insignificant statistically. So, it shouldn't be this big fear ball that it's turned into. Well, you know, another good example, Gene. Uh, look last year. Uh, the headlines uh, were saying in the newspapers that we were undergoing the worst catastrophe, you know, the worst economic catastrophe <laughs> yeah. in history. Yeah. And here's the Dow Jones Industrial Average at 10,000. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I've been watching the markets for a long time. Right. You know, how can you have the worst economic catastrophe in human history going on when the Dow Jones Industrial Average is at 10,000? Uh, right. Uh, you know, it, I mean, I saw the market crash. They called it crash 500 points uh, in 1987. It was a little over 2,000 at that time, which was a high number. Everybody got used to the the prosperity factor, and then all of a sudden, oh, we don't have all of that anymore. It's terrible, you know, and it's, it's, it's not even back where it was. Right now, I'm not saying that there aren't problems. I'm sure. not saying that there aren't economic problems. My point is that there have always been yeah. economic problems. And, and you look back at what happened in the Great Depression. Uh, this is not that. This is a recession, which happens normally, cyclically. Uh, every you know, 10, 20 years, you're going to have one. And uh, you know, it's just my point is just that the news media that we have focuses so much on fear and so much on the negative and it's catchy. It's like it becomes almost like a self fulfilling prophecy where they talk down the stock market another three thousand points. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now yeah, it's come back some and people are starting to feel a little bit better about uh, the economy, just like they're starting to feel a little bit better about the swine flu. It, it's the same <laughs> pattern uh in different forms. Now you get the Dow back up over eight thousand and uh, you know, I mean yeah, I'm not saying that there aren't problems. I'm just saying that the real problem is the fear. Yeah. And uh, back when Roosevelt said, you know, yeah. there's nothing to fear but fear itself, he wasn't kidding. Right. Uh, it was absolutely true. And Obama has made some uh, reference to that also. 
and uh, it's kind of like uh, it's all the ego needs, which I you know I can't repeat too much. It doesn't matter what the real situation is. All that the ego needs is for fear to be there because if it can scare you into thinking that something is bad, well then what is it? that is being affected by this. What is being affected by it is you, the body, you, the individual. And that's the ego's real purpose. The ego's real game is to trick you into thinking that you're a body. Uh, Course in Miracles teaches that as long as you think that you are a body, you will believe that you are deprived. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because it reinforces that sense of separation from God. Right. Uh, the Course teaches that a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you could collect, you know, correct that one lack, then you'd never feel scarce. You would never feel lack. You would only feel abundance, and it wouldn't matter what appeared to be happening uh, in the world. So that's why this is a course in cause and not effect. And that's why when I was talking about medicine, I emphasized uh, that it's always the level of the mind that these teachings are applied at, and not at the level of the physical, which is just going to follow naturally anyway, because as the course teaches, what you do is a result of what you think, uh, that's why its emphasis is always on the decisions that are made at the level of the mind. Mm-hmm. So, buddy, uh, I think I have time for one more question. Let's do one more. And, uh, in fact, you just said mind. That's going to make sense in a second. It's actually, I'm going to do two questions that are really on the same topic, and I think you can probably do a pretty brief answer to wrap this up. So these will be from two different people. The first one's from Teresa. Quick question. Would it be helpful to use the Silva Mind Control Program in conjunction with A Course in Miracles and Gary's Works? That's from Teresa. And in a similar question, this came from our friend Micah, uh, who apparently was very freezing in Minnesota when he wrote this. I think it's a little warmer now. It was a couple months ago. Uh, let me just see where we are here. He says, I grew up in a Baptist church, graduated from Jerry Falwell's school, Liberty University. My family thinks I will suffer the fires of hell if I don't turn back. My, so at any rate, that's his background. But he says uh, he's active in Ekankar, which I'm sure you are uh, familiar with, means way of the eternal. Uh, he feels that the enlightened masters of Ekankar are somewhat similar, it sounds like, to Artin and Persa, able to materialize or visit. Um, having my foundation set in A Course in Miracles, it helps me understand and apply what I learned in Ekankar. So we want to know if you had any comments about the complementary teachings between Ekankar or Silva Mind Control. And you have mentioned Est that you were familiar with in the past. And I mentioned having some familiarity with Scientology way back down the line for me. So what would you say about that? I'm sure you can wrap that all into one cohesive answer, Gare. Yeah, well, uh, Arden and Persa got kicked out of Ekankar. Did they? Okay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're, they're in the Ekankar recovery group when they come in. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I would say this. Usually, I mean, my approach is to, even though I learn about other things and notice other things and notice the similarities at times between things, uh, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with comparative religion or, or learning uh, wisdom anywhere you can. It's just that when it comes to what I apply to what I see, I consistently use A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, that having been said, we already said earlier that the curriculum is highly individualized. Right. So I'm not going to tell anybody that they shouldn't do something. You know, it's like uh, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I would say ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. Uh, A lot of my work is about getting people more in touch with the Holy Spirit by undoing the ego in several different ways. Of course, the most important is forgiveness, but it's not the kind of forgiveness that most people think of. It's a different form of forgiveness taught in A Course in Miracles. And yes, there are other ways, too, what the Course would call true prayer, uh, really like putting the Holy Spirit in charge, things like that, that undo the ego 
That's my emphasis, because I believe that it puts the individual more in touch with the Holy Spirit, and that's the whole point. Uh, you notice in the, uh, you know, in the edition of uh, A Course in Miracles, the Foundation for Inner Peace says that the real purpose of the Course is to help people find their own internal teacher. Mm-hmm. So this is really about uh, you know, the Holy Spirit in you, ultimately. Only the Holy Spirit can advise you as to what to do. So I would say ask the Holy Spirit about that. Uh, I personally uh, don't mix my application of the Course with other things. I certainly learn about other things, mm-hmm. but I do the Course. And so that's my uh, emphasis. At the same time, uh, whatever works for you and the Holy Spirit, I would say go for it. I would never question uh, somebody else's spiritual experience. You know, uh, people come up to me, sometimes they'll ask me what they should do. And I'll say, look, that's not my job. You know, it's not my job to tell you what to do. It's my job to help you get in touch with with the one that can tell you what you should do and where you should go and lead you through your life, and that's the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, only the Holy Spirit can see everything. Only the Holy Spirit knows everything. So only the Holy Spirit can know what's right for you, and it may not necessarily even be the same answer that the Holy Spirit would give to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because it is highly individualized, and you have to be led along the path one step at a time until you get to the end, and yet we're all going to end up at the end. Uh, When the Course says it's one form of the universal curriculum, it says they all lead to God in the end. Uh, At the same time, I believe that A Course in Miracles is about the fastest way to get there. Yeah, I agree. And yet at the same time, I need it est at a certain time. Uh, You may need silver mind control right now, and then that will lead you to whatever the next step is for you. And if uh, you're learning about A Course in Miracles at the same time, there's certainly no harm in that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, whatever works, it's going to be decided for you uh, by the Holy Spirit. And certainly, as you said, too, a lot of I mentioned, uh, you know, I've said this before about being involved with uh, Scientology for a while, and that's a long time ago for me. But I did have a few sort of even metaphysical experiences during that that led me to the path that eventually brought me to A Course in Miracles. So it was a stepping stone that was necessary in my travel. And uh, many people doing the course are experienced meditators. Many have studied TM and other disciplines with that. All of that, you know, it just leads you wherever it is you're meant to be going. So well, I believe that's true, because uh, you know, when I saw you do that uh, Bandito commercial <laughs> on YouTube, I said to myself, uh, you know, there he is, a living example of Dianetics. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need those thinking engrams! <laughs> oh, oh, boy, the Dianetics people are going to love this. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> And that came after my, my, my work with them. So, you know, see, that was part of my path to banditohood, apparently. Well, listen, uh, we want to uh, just two quick mentions. And since you mentioned the uh, the bandito, this will link us back. Trust me on this one. Uh, we we uh, I wanted to mention that at forgiveness.tv, our website uh, on the links page that you can go to because you can find the podcast there. And then I have my little producer's blog where I blather on about stuff. But uh, but the links has now been expanded to include two different things. Uh, and one of them, well, of course, the bandito YouTube video is there. Uh, but also our dear friend Stephen, Stephen, who's been driven quite mad by guilt, has come up with yet another spoof. And it's now posted there. You can find a link to it in the links page at forgiveness.tv. It'll be the fourth one in the series now. So I don't think you've heard this one yet, Gare. So you'll have to go check that out. I just put it up there recently. Yeah, he does uh, a great job. He's hysterical. And, uh, the, you know, they started off, the first two were very much spoofs of the podcast that you and I do. Where And he does both of our voices, and he's really funny. 
uh, the third one took the show on the road, and the fourth one, it's like it, it's like taking on a life of its own. It's like an ongoing sitcom of some kind. It, it has nothing to do with our podcast. It's just us, and let's just say there's other characters that people will recognize who are involved with us in this fourth one. Very, very funny stuff. So check that out on the links page. And also on the links page is now a link to the YouTube site where I have all the different videos. And uh, uh, one of the videos there, and we'll be adding more. Wait, what's that sound I hear in the background? Oh, that was right from our cruise. Oh, what a what a horn that is! Um, we have uh, some actual video. The last two podcast episodes, as people know, were taken. The audio was taken from a video recording we did on your Happy Dream Cruise from last month or so. Uh, and video clips are now being placed at YouTube, so you can see what we're doing. You can see us in action. You can see Gary in his in his beautiful T-shirt that you are wearing. So uh, we want to remind people of that. So. I think that's all I was going to say on that, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I blinded okay. a couple of people with that shirt. Have you? It's a bright one, yes. Yeah, <laughs> That was such a great time, and as we've said, we haven't talked about it w- with each other here, but uh, it was so great to have a, a podcast recording situation with an audience, with actually people there. We had 70 or 80 people in the room with us, and it was just terrific. We did the questions for Gary right from the, they gave the questions, and the laughter and applause, and boy, it was so much fun. So down the line, we definitely will do somewhere other podcasts with live audiences because it was really terrific wasn't it yeah i just want to mention uh when people see me uh holding on to something on my right and on something on my left <laughs> on this stool is because the ship was moving uh significantly <laughs> as we were doing this and uh you know you'd go walking around and you'd lose your balance and it was like uh after a while you get used to it but uh it, there was a little bit more movement than, than usual but when we got to the island and did the excursion uh-huh. and everything. That was just like heaven. It was oh, yeah. Absolutely great. And the teachings at sea and the podcast, well, people will see for themselves, uh, is a lot of fun and a lot of laughter and, and just a great time. And, uh, yeah, we had time for some serious teachings, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, it goes, uh, you know, kind of ebb and flows, but uh, it was just a, a wonderful cruise with a great group of people. And uh, I think the next year uh, we're going to do a cruise to Mexico, Ah. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I never went to Mexico until a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I was just blown away by uh, how much fun it was and the warmth of the people and how beautiful and tropical it was. It's warmer. You know, uh, You know, people think that Southern California is warm. Well, this is like, you know, really nice and warm and humid and romantic, and it's great to walk out on the deck at night and mm-hmm. uh, to go to all these beautiful excursions. And... Uh, I think that's what we're going to do next. But I think that from this video, people will start to get the idea of the camaraderie and the friendships that you make and what the people are like. Well, we had and, such, uh, such a great time. It really did feel like family, didn't it? Because I know you spent a lot of time with people all through the week. And uh, just what a great bunch. I, I really can't uh, convey that well enough. It sounds like I'm putting it on. But really, it was just amazing. Yeah, you really do become uh, like a family, like, mm-hmm. a, like a big group. And, uh, you know, people make friends for life. So... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a wonderful uh, forum for people to get together with people who think like they do, and, and uh, it's uh, really great. So I, I appreciate uh, you know the opportunity to do that. And there was some comment at the Happy Dream Cruise Facebook page, and I think it was from our friend Martin, our buddy from the UK. Hello, brother Marty. Hey, uh, Martin. And uh, yeah, he's a great guy, and uh, I think he made some comment from looking at the photo of you and I when you were sitting down holding on, and he, and he said, you can see that, you know, Gary hasn't gotten his sea legs yet, and, and I said, well, see, I just had my shoes nailed to the floor to make it look like I was stable, so. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I should have stood up because <laughs> it's actually easier to stand up in that situation. Sometimes let the knees do the work, but uh, yeah. yeah, tons of fun. So there will be, uh, go to those links and I'll be posting more of those uh, those videos there as well. So do you want to uh, leave us with a closing comment and then I'll I'll squeeze in the music as you're wrapping it up, Gar? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, what we want to focus on, and I have to do this continuously because I travel so much and I'm going to, uh, you know, to Europe uh, later in the month. I'll be going to like uh, Holland and, and France and uh, Spain. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get caught up in a whirlwind. And I really think that uh, that's why it's so important in the morning, you know, to put the Holy Spirit in charge of your whole day. And uh, the Course promises that if you do that, then you may get into a situation where you don't have time to think. You know, it's like you get caught up in, in this fast life. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Course actually promises that wisdom will be given to you when you need it. So you may not have time to think about something. You may not have time to stop and ask uh, the Holy Spirit, oh, gee, what should I do now? You know, what should my decision be now? If you don't have time for that, the Course actually says that the Holy Spirit is there in your mind and that you'll know what to do and that you'll uh, you know, do the right thing. So uh, that's a huge promise for the Course to be making. But at the same time, I think it works if you do the Course, if you actually practice forgiveness, if you actually put the Holy Spirit in charge, which is so important in the morning. Uh, you can do it in 10 seconds. You know, just say, hey, Holy Spirit, you be in charge of my thoughts. You know, you run the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, you be the guide. And uh, if you do that, then uh, it pays off in the long run. And, of course, there's also uh, the form of meditation that we do, which some people know about, but uh, which I teach periodically because it's so important uh, for people to, to actually do it. And that's the only thing. Uh, you got to do it, because if you don't do it, it can't work for you. But if you do, then uh, I think that this really is a better quality of life, and uh, it's a better way of life, and I'm very grateful for it. And I'm very grateful to you, buddy. Thanks for doing uh, another podcast here. And uh, it's always a great time. I had a great time doing this one. This one was a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure. It really is. We, we have a great time. It's, and it's our one opportunity to kind of really talk at length with each other, you know, because these are questions that not only people send in, but that I have myself. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I know you got to roll. I'll let you off the hook. I'll wrap things up. And we'll pick it up in the next episode. Okay. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you. Talk to you soon, bro. Thanks. And the Gary Renard Podcast is produced by Enlighten Up Creations and presented by Forgiveness.tv. Verbal content of our programs is copyright 2009, Gary Renard and Gene Bogart, all rights reserved. I think I'm supposed to say that. I don't know. What do I know? For more information about Gary and all the upcoming activities and appearances and book releases and everything else that he has going on, go to his website, the one he named himself. That's GaryRenard.com. And for more information about both of us and our podcasts, and to find those links that I was telling you about on the links page, go to Forgiveness.tv. And go to the links page and check out Stephen's fourth spoof. And uh, we'll have new YouTube videos and all sorts of fun stuff going on there. And there's also a, a new uh, a new email list that you can uh, join in if you'd like to. Forgiveness.tv at gmail.com. Send me a letter, I'll put you on the list. And I don't know what's going to happen. But whatever it is, it'll be fun. And whatever it is, you know how we like to close out every episode. We will see you on the next episode, which will be episode 30 of the Gary Renard Podcast, coming soon. In the meantime, remember that whatever the situation or question, forgiveness is always the answer. <laughs>